Hello and welcome to the latest Funds Fan Podcast with Kyle Caldwell and Sam Benstead. As usual, we have a Fund Manager interview coming up, and that is with Peter Ewans, who is Fund Manager of the recently renamed Global Smaller Companies Trust, which was formerly called the BMO, Global Smaller Companies Trust. How's performance been on that trust, Kyle? Investment companies are having a tough year so far, and particularly those investing in smaller and therefore potentially higher risk stocks. Yeah, that's that's right, Sam. It has been a tough short-term period. Um, but in common with other smaller company trusts and uh, open-ended funds as well, you know, the long-term performance uh, does catch the eye. Um, of course, over the long term, smaller companies, they do tend to outperform larger companies. It's known as the small company effect. Um, and during that interview, um, I asked Peter about both recent performance and what the potential catalyst may be for investor sentiment to improve towards equities generally, as well as smaller companies. And we also chatted about the reasons why smaller companies do tend to, over the very long term, outperform larger companies. Um, and by the very long term, um, I mean 10 years plus. And the trust, as well as investing in direct equities, it also invests in other um, collective investments, including investment trusts. So there were a couple of other investment trusts discussed as part of that interview. But before we get to that, let's chat about a couple of recent news stories related to funds and investment trusts. So in the past couple of weeks, me and Sam have written a number of pieces looking back on the first half of this year. So let's start off with investment trusts. Sam, it's been the worst period in 30 years in terms of performance in the first half of the year. Is the ability of investment trusts to borrow, known as gearing, all to blame? Gearing was definitely part of it, as that amplifies gains as well as losses. But the main reason for disappointing performance this year has definitely been dire sentiment among investors about the outlook for the economy and company profits. Investment trust share prices can diverge from the real value of their investments, which can lead to discounts or premiums opening up. Generally, when investors are confident, there might be small premiums on top trusts, but when they are pessimistic, wide discounts can appear. According to Winterflood, the investment trust analyst, the average discount widened from 2.2% at the start of the year to 9.5% at the end of June. It said the outlook was still poor and discounts could stay wide due to the ongoing war in Ukraine and worsening inflation picture. Typically, investors want to buy a trust instead of a similarly managed open-ended fund to do better, but that's not been the case this year. My analysis of funds and trusts run by the same manager and following the same strategy show that 8 out of 10 trusts performed worse than their sister funds. Over five years, trusts begin to overwhelmingly outperform funds, however. Overall, it's of course been the first half of the year that many investors will want to put behind them, with the vast majority of funds posting losses. In terms of fund sectors, just 7 of 58 in total managed to um, eke out a positive return in that six-month period to the end of June. And um, the gap between the best and the worst fund sector is stark. Um, Leading the pack was um, the commodity natural resources sector, in which the average funds returned 6.8%. And at the bottom of the table is the UK index-linked gilt fund sector, in which the average fund in that sector fell by just over 25%. Sam separately took a look at infrastructure and renewable energy investment trusts, Both have provided um, a return to investors this year, which is no mean feat. And the outlook for both sectors continues to be positive. Sam, could you run into the details as to why? 
That's right. So the infrastructure sector, which includes renewable energy projects like solar and wind power, has delivered positive performance over the past 12 months and is set to continue doing so, according to analysts. Particularly impressive are renewable energy infrastructure investment trusts, which have returned on average 13% over the past 12 months, compared with a 0.5% loss for the FTSE All Share. Traditional investment trusts investing in infrastructure have returned 3% over the past year on average. Their main advantage over traditional income-oriented investments is that their earnings are linked to inflation and they can own physical assets that tend to rise in value when prices go up. The other big tailwind at the moment is the rising cost of power and the increased importance of renewable and domestic energy suppliers, given the dangers of depending on oil from Russia. This all means that infrastructure trusts should keep increasing the income they generate for investors and the value of their assets should also keep rising. It's important to bear in mind with specialist funds that simply buying and holding may not be the best investment strategy. Sentiment towards these sort of specialist areas, it can change very quickly. So be prepared to act accordingly. And finally, there's been a couple of fund manager changes in the news. So firstly, Hamish Bailey, co-manager of the Ruffair Investment Company, which is um, popular with Interactive Investor customers, is stepping down at the end of, end of this month to pursue other opportunities. Duncan McInnes, who's been managing the 980 million defensive trust since 2016, will take sole responsibility for the investment company. The news of um, Hamish Bailey's departure it did take me by surprise, particularly that he's um, leaving so quickly. What are your thoughts, Sam? It was a bit odd, given that he's only in his 40s and had a top role at a leading investment boutique. There wasn't any information about what he'll do next, but it wouldn't be surprising if he popped up again at a top investment firm. He could also be taking a break. A lot's happened in the past 20 years that he's been at Ruffer. Ruffer investors shouldn't be worried, though. Duncan is a great fund manager and very experienced. He's done a great job stewarding the fund through the COVID crash and the inflation that we are now seeing. There was also this week the announcement of the retirement of Star Japan fund manager Hideo Shizumi. After 50 years of running money, the fund FTF, Martin Curry Japan Equity, will be from September managed by Martin Curry and its parent company, Franklin Templeton. From September, Shizumi will continue as a senior advisor to the fund for 12 months. This news won't come as a surprise to investors but they have every right to be very disappointed. Shizumi delivered 500% returns since 1996, which is five times the 100% gain from the typical stock picker over that period. He's a legendary Japanese stocks investor, having managed money for hedge fund guru George Soros there in the 1980s. When a fund manager retires or leaves to join a rival firm, it's worth investors considering whether to hold or fold. The first thing I think that's worth questioning is whether the new fund manager is going to stick to the current investment process or make changes. In most cases, the investment process remains the same. But if that isn't the case, then it's no longer the same fund as it was when you bought it. So it could be time to move on. Also consider how long the succession planning has been in, in place when a fund manager retires. Has the new fund manager been a co-manager or a deputy fund manager for a number of years, or have they been drafted in relatively recently? Ideally, investors will want to see the handover of a fund or trust to be smooth. 
and it's also worth assessing key person risk. Has, the, has there been one full manager at the helm for a number of years that's been highly influential in calling all the shots? Or has it been more of a team approach with a couple of full managers named on the fund? If it's been the former, then that full manager leaving or retiring is more of a blow. History shows that a change in a fund or trust lead manager can have a big impact. This can be for better or worse, so investors should always take note. Are there any other practical pointers that you would add to that list, Sam? I'd just say that sometimes whole teams are poached by other investment firms, and this should be a signal to sell up, in my opinion, as a lot of the expertise there will have to be built up again from scratch. Recent examples include BNY Mellon Global Income Manager Nick Clay moving his entire team to Red Wheel in 2020, and Jero Hambro hiring Hermes's impact investment team in 2019, led by Tim Crockford. That's a very good point, Sam. And of course, if an entire team leaves, then the culture that's been built up by that team will also be exiting with them. So as a very rough rule of thumb, investors should consider seeking pastures new when a full manager quits or retires if the new manager appears to be making major portfolio changes and if the new manager is an unknown quantity. For our full manager interview, I'm joined by Peter Ewins, full manager of the recently renamed Global Smaller Companies Trust. It was formerly called the BMO Global Smaller Companies Trust. Peter, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Well, pleasure, Carl. So, Peter, could you firstly run through how the investment trust is structured? So, you invest globally, and you have some exposure to shares directly and also to other funds and investment trusts. How is that split up? in order to invest in global smaller companies. Yeah, that, that's right, Carl. I mean, we do have this, um, this this structure, which is we need to really explain at the start, really. And ultimately, 80-odd percent of the fund is invested in individual smaller companies listed on North American, European, or in the UK markets. And then we have the rest of the portfolio, which is which is actually held in, collect, in a number of collectives. Those those we, we've, we, we hold, really, ultimately, because a number of years ago, um, we, we took the view that um, we would benefit by using um, third-party fund managers with a greater level of specialist, smaller company um, investment resource in markets uh, like Japan and um, Asia emerging markets. Um, ultimately, um, you know, some other fund managers out there have got have got more dedicated small cap investment resource in those markets. And we've always felt that we can do a good job, though, picking individual companies within the UK, North America and Europe. Um, so, as I say, the bulk of the fund is still in individual companies, uh, but we are using a few of these uh, few of these um, collectives um, in these other markets. Um, the other thing, ultimately, so we have this structure where we've got the um, the individual holdings and then the the collectives. And we're looking, obviously, you know, to add some value also through asset allocation over time by uh, you know, changing the percentage holding or the percentage weighting in, say, North American market or a Japanese market at uh, at suitable points in time. Um, I'd, I'd use an example. I mean, in the uh, quite a few years ago now, if you remember the terrible tsunami in Japan, at that point in time, the Japanese smaller company market fell very sharply, and uh, 
you know, at that point in time, we sort of took advantage of that and put some more money into Japan and it rebounded. And then maybe more recently in the UK, we we added to the UK waiting when Brexit was right in the forefront of everyone's minds and the, the UK small cap market market was weak. So, you know, we're trying to tr- try and fl- fluctuate the, uh, try and move the asset allocation around a little bit. But, uh, um, you know, ultimately it is a stock picking fund at the end of the day, and it's much more dependent on picking individual good companies and funds. So since the start of this year, it's uh, been a challenging period to be a smaller company investor. Could you give your views on why smaller companies are so out of favour at the moment? Oh, yeah, where do we start, Carl? Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, you, I think everyone on this call or listening to this call will uh, will know that there's a lot of problems out there in the world. We've had, uh, you know, obviously, we had the COVID period. We've had uh, huge supply chain disruption. Um, you know, in terms of COVID, now we've got the Chinese economy sort of coming in and out of lockdowns. Um, you know, impacting again on on supply chains for companies. Uh, we then had obviously the war starting in in February, um, and that obviously that tragic event. Um, you know, um, is causing um, implications, having implications for the things that we all know about the food and the uh, the food pricing and uh, energy prices, as we as as, as we know from uh, the impact of the uh, you know reduced supply through the Ukraine. So, you know the a lot of issues uh, from a macro point of view. And then, you know, even before the war with inflation had been picking up and, and interest rates were moving up or look like to move up quite sharply in North America. So, you know, we, the, the, the equity investors have, uh, have got a, a whole load of things to think about. Uh, you know, we're we, we are no, no exception to that. A lot of things to think about and, um, you know, a lot of macro uncertainties. Um, you know, we, we haven't really had a pandemic in my in, in, in our lives, you know, until a couple of years ago. We haven't had a, a war in Europe for a very long period of time. So, you know, there's a lot to think about for equity investors. And I think smaller company shares have been caught in the uh, in the crossfire. And I think, you know, a bit of a risk risk aversion in the markets has, um, you know, has led to uh, smaller companies in some parts of the world underperforming. Having said that, though, actually, in some parts of the world, they're holding up better. So in, in Japan, uh, Japanese small caps are doing uh, holding up reasonably well, um, and perhaps helped by the weakness of the yen there. Some of the companies in that market, um, but you know, it is a difficult. Um, I would sort of have to acknowledge it is a difficult time for um, you know for smaller company for smaller company equities in the markets at the moment, Carl. So as you mentioned, obviously it's a very difficult time, and there's a lot of uncertainty. I know it's the million-dollar question, but I mean, what do you think the potential catalyst will be for investor sentiment to improve? perhaps towards equities in general and then also to smaller companies? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think a couple of months ago when that war started, I think, you know, we were, we were maybe hoping that that, uh, that there could be a quick resolution to the war. It, it could be a short uh, short run event and that, that would help, you know, from a number of angles, obviously, um, from a humanitarian point of view, from first and foremost. But ultimately, if that war had been short, uh, short-lived, uh, then maybe the energy price would calm down, etc. So that would have been a catalyst that we maybe were hoping for a couple of months ago. As, as we sit here in the room at the moment, there's no sign of that happening. So um, that, that, sh- that catalyst maybe is looking a little less light than it was. I think, you know, Obviously, everyone, the, the financial markets are looking, uh, looking at, we're looking at a lot of in, in, in indices and indicators at the moment. We're, we're, you know, it is possible, I think, it is possible that we do see uh, the slowdown in the global economy, um, you know, starting to make people think, and I think we're already seeing this to a degree from some commentators, starting to make people think that interest rates won't go up as much as uh, um, as currently is expected. Um, if the economies slow very rapidly, then the uh, the central banks might start to ease off of uh, rate uh, rate hiking. So, 
you know, that could be a catalyst, you know, a change in sentiment towards interest rates. But um, I think fundamentally, we do need to sort of see some of these big uncertainties uh, ameliorate a little bit before, um, you know, before we see people uh, looking to increase their exposure to small cap. I think having said that, you know, it is, um, you know, it's very hard to tell. And it's always very hard to tell some how these macro things work out. And, you know, you can quickly be surprised. You could see, um, you know, some favorable development of some sort or another, and then that could drive people back into small cap. I think we would, um, we would also say at the moment that the valuation attractions of certain small companies has become, um, you know, much better in the last few months as we've seen, um, you know, some very sharp pullbacks in share prices. So, you know, there's always opportunities, um, you know, in times of difficulty. And given the, you know, the sharp pullbacks in share prices that materialized um, over the past six months. Have you been making more changes to the portfolio than usual on the direct equity side? Has there been any new holdings or increases in existing positions? Yeah, I, I think probably we've always we're always active and, and as you'd expect, you know, across the, across all points in time. But I think um, the level of activity is probably fairly consistent with a normal level of activity. I mean, I think we, along with every other fund manager at the moment, is probably you know has been doing the work in terms of uh, pricing power on on investments. So you know, at a time of higher inflation, um, you know, we're all trying to work out how high quality companies are in terms of their ability to pass price rises, cost rises down the down their channels. Um, so there's been a bit of that. I mean, there's been a couple of names we've sold in in uh, in Europe that I could mention, or one one name, Dometic, which is a uh, provider of caravan sort of parts, recreational vehicle parts. That that was sold um, partly on a sort of a pricing PowerPoint, and partly on ultimately it had had a, a super normal level of trading through the pandemic period. So that one that one went out. Um, you know, companies that are subject to uh, supply chain disruption, a company called Cancom again in Europe, which is a sort of an IT reselling business that's had problems in actually getting hold of products and that's caused um, issues for it. So, you know, so there's things, there are companies that are having individual issues at the moment that we're, that we're um, you know, we're taking account of in our decisions. On the more positive side, though, I think we certainly, we are finding some ideas to, to put into the portfolios. Um uh, in the financials area in the UK market, for example, we we had a, a takeover of Bruin Dolphin a, a while ago at a, at a very um, big premium to the uh, prevailing share price at the time the deal was announced, uh, and uh, immediately we switched into we bought into a Rathbone Brothers Rathbone Group, I think it's now called um, the the wealth man the other wealth management business, um, you know, which seems to be to be trading on a much lower multiple than the the takeover of, of Bruin. Um, not that we're buying it purely for a takeover, but ultimately the valuation there looked looked attractive in the context of what had happened there. Um, Just Group, another company in the UK market, and an annuities business that looks very attractively valued to us um, with a with a, a much better solvency position and um, you know starting to pay a dividend out. So you know there are individual stocks in all part in the UK, North America, and Europe that we've been that we've been finding attractions in. Uh, maybe just quickly in Europe, a couple of names that we've, or a name that we added to in, in Europe was uh, Merlin Properties in, in a Spanish property business. Very high level of index linked um, uh, leases in its in its, port, in its properties. So, you know, they're passing, uh, rents are going up, um, you know, in, in line sort of with the CPI over there in many cases. So, you know, their rental income stream is pretty is pretty solid and they've got a data centers business they're building out there as well, which looks quite quite interesting for the medium term. So, you know, there are there are companies I could go on, Carl, but there are companies that we've, you know, we've seen sort of attraction in the last few months despite these sort of macro uncertainties. And so there has been a little bit of um, evolution of the portfolio. And with the investment trust exposure, 
which you mentioned earlier, is predominantly Asia and emerging markets. Do you attempt to take advantage of investment trust discount opportunities? Yeah, there's not all that many investment trusts, sadly. There's not all that many. There's not a huge number of them to choose from in the closed-end fund uh, market, actually, for Asian smaller companies or for Japanese smaller companies, um, emerging market smaller companies for that uh, that matter, really. So it's not like we can, you know, there's 25 of them that we're constantly evaluating and looking to take advantage of discount movements. There there just aren't that many there. So I I would say probably not really in in truth. You know, we will look at the the ones we do hold. We own Scottish Orientals, smaller companies, trust, and uh, uh, the Utilico Emerging Markets Trust, actually, of the closed-ended funds that we own. Those are the two um, two funds that we do own. And they, um, you know, they are on double-digit discounts. So, you know, they are looking attractive from that point of view. But having said that, they've been on double-digit discounts for quite a long period of time. And uh, those, those funds, you know, in, in, a, in, a, at a point, in at a point in time where discounts on smaller companies' trusts, in, indeed our own, are on, um, you know, double-digit levels at the moment. So, um, you know, there's an opportunity every now and again to take advantage of a discount volatility, but then, um, you know, liquidity can sometimes sort of hamper that um, in in practice. So I wouldn't overstate uh, that as a that as a, a a driver for us. But you know, we're, what we're trying to do on the collective side, in the same way that we do with the individual company side, is to try and hold things for the long term. You know, company uh, funds that are you know funds that are good that we can hopefully hold for the long term. Um, but every now and again, obviously, we do need to make some changes there. I wanted to now move on to ask you a couple of questions about the long-term outperformance of smaller companies versus larger companies, uh, which is known as the small cap effect. Could you firstly give your take on why there is this well-known investment phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been, uh, I suppose I sort of count myself fortunate when I started a job in a, in the fund management world, I sort of got uh, pushed pushed in the direction of running, a, of getting involved with a smaller companies fund. And I think probably that was a good time point in time to get involved in smaller company investing um, quite a long time ago now, more than 30 years ago now. But, uh, you know, it has been a good period over that period of time for smaller companies. Um, you know, obviously, Generally, you can generalize uh, too much sometimes, but ultimately, small, the, attraction, the fundamental attraction of smaller companies for me has always been around their, their superior growth potential over the long term. Um, in the short in short term periods, maybe like um, you know, maybe like we got now, where you've got a, a weakening macro environment, they can they can underperform larger company um, uh, you know indices. Um, you know, maybe, you know, like now you've got oil stocks doing well and maybe there's less exposure to that in, in the smaller company sphere um, and less exposure to sort of banking sector where, you know, interest rate rises help, help that, that sector. So that's a bit of a headwind at the moment. But if you take the long term view, um, you, you just find more high quality growth stories within the smaller companies um, sector. And, um, you know, you just find companies that can grow at a faster rate when they're um, they're starting from a smaller base. Those that that's a broad sort of sweeping generalisation, I guess, because you know we we always have to look at things on an individual basis and you know trying to find those individual good companies. But you know, I think you start with a bit of an advantage uh, taking a long term view that a, that a smaller, well managed company with a sensible balance sheet and a sensible sort of business proposition can do better than a very large business, um, which is maybe pretty mature in, in some ways. So you know you certainly have seen long term outperformance of the the FTSE 100, uh, the, the the new miss index in the UK market that we that we use as our UK um, smaller companies benchmark. That's obviously over a very long period of time outperformed the FTSE 100 by quite a margin, but um, 
you know, and, and you could probably say the same in some of the other markets, particularly uh, North America, the Russell 2000 has done very well long term. So, you know, it, it's, yes, it's, um, it's been a good period under long term, you know, more recently, though, you know, it's been, it's been a more, bit more difficult as we've seen this sort of macro situation evolve. Um, the other, the other thing that goes in favour of smaller companies, I think, actually, is that um, they do tend to become prey in terms of um, M&A. So we saw the Bruin Dolphin takeover. You know, in the last financial year for the trust, which ended in April, um, we had 17 of our holdings taken over, which, um, you know, a number of them at pretty good premiums. So that that helped the performance of the fund over that year. So the M&A sort of angle, I think, is, is a bigger contribut- contributor over, over the long term to smaller company returns than it is in, in, in large cap. And the second sort of question on this area that I wanted to ask you was, given that it is well known that you know, smaller companies over the very long term outperform larger companies, then why is it that smaller companies are not more widely owned as part of a typical investor's portfolio? It just seems to me, because it's so well known, why hasn't this been that sort of trade that's been arbitraged away over the years yeah it's a good uh, it's a good one i mean i i've never actually seen a lot of data individual to be honest i've never seen the data individually telling me that um you know your average investor is hugely underweight smaller companies um i i think you know i guess in the last in the last period what well, in the last period maybe last decade or so i suppose a lot of investor money has gone into um you know into uh, maybe tech funds um healthcare funds and the, the popular areas of the market, you know, and, 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 and the big sort of, if you like, the North American sort of big blue chip or well, maybe not blue chip, but the big sort of American tech fang type stocks. Uh, maybe that's where a lot of money has gone over the years. Maybe the sort of UK small cap market or the European small cap market has been less sort of perceived as being less exciting more recently. So, I mean, I, I, I actually don't know whether the, there's, um, you know, whether the average uh, UK investor, for example, UK retail investor is underweight small cap, but you probably know that much more than, better than I do, Carl. But I mean, you know, the... Uh, I think, you know, we've tried and make the message and along with all the other smaller companies, fund managers you talk to that, uh, you know, it is an attractive universe to pick stocks from and that uh, investors should have it as part of their part of their portfolio. And, you know, I, I certainly from my point of view and my portfolio have an overweight stance to smaller company sort of holdings, uh, you know, and and through through this fund. So, um, you know, I, I sort of commend it to people but you know i think obviously people have to make their own judgments on what their risk tolerances are and the risk appetite for risk is um at any point in time now i'm going to move on to the trust's uh, dividend heritage which is very rich it's shortly going to be celebrating its 50 seconds consecutive year of dividend increases now while that's all great for a new investor that's looking at the trust today how would you convince them peter to think about that long-term dividend growth record rather than look at the trust dividend yield which is just over 1.2 percent yeah um so i I suppose it just comes down to um well i think a couple of things really i mean the 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 fund it's not an income fund this fund um this is predominantly going to be a capital growth sort of vehicle hopefully in the long term um having said that you know capital growth is is one thing but you know obviously over time the compounding value of increasing dividends comes through as well i mean i i just look back to um when I'd sort of got involved with this fund at the start, which is going back into the 1990s, I think at, the, at that point in time, the dividend yield at that point in time was just over 1% at that point in time. But actually, the, the sort of very strong dividend growth that we've had over the years, um, when I look back to what I initially paid for the, the shares when I bought them in, in the first point of inception, 
um you know the dividend that i'm now getting now in 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 pence per share relative to the price i was paying in in pence per share going back all those years actually it's a it's a very good yield on what i initially paid for it so you know if you, if you hold if you hold the investment for a long period of time then that dividend does grow you know, has has grown strongly i mean you know as as we all know we can't guarantee that's going to continue in the future particularly you know when we've got a very uncertain macro environment but the dividend has grown i think probably fair to say a lot a lot faster than most other investment trusts over the years so yes you might get a, a one and a bit percent yield um now but hopefully in the, in the future that's going to get, that's going to grow whereas you can buy an, you know an income orientated strategy today maybe yielding you four but uh, it may not grow very much at all in the in the years to come it may be it may be over distributing income you know for, it may be uh, it may not it may not have the income to cover its dividend even so you know, I think I think I would I would just say, you know, take a long term view, um, you know, in, in in your investing and, and hopefully the dividend of of this vehicle and other smaller company vehicles can grow, you know, over time as the as the companies that we are backing and the funds that we're backing, you know, makes us uh, do well over the long term and grow their own distributions. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it, it's been a it's been a. A, a, a decent year, a, a decent uh, period of uh, dividend growth for the trust over the last um, decade and, and, and further back. But yeah, I would accept it as a lower yield on as, as of now. And our final question, uh, it's a question that you've um, already touched on the answer to in, a, in your previous um, answers. And that question is, do you have skin in the game? Yes, I do actually. Yeah, I mean, it's it's disclosed in the annual report um, that I do have the skin in the game. But um, you know, I, I sort of um, for their sins, I've um, I've got my daughters invested through the uh, what was the BMO uh, savings schemes. Now it's uh, the CT savings schemes that uh, now we're now we're um, Columbia Thread Needle Investments. And ultimately, the uh, my you know I do a monthly I do a monthly investment for my own for my own self into the into the into the fund. Um, and uh, you know um, that that sort of for me has worked quite nicely because I think timing the investment, timing investing in anything is always difficult. Um, if you're investing, you know that monthly uh, that monthly thing, you, you do it, you, you do think you maybe you maybe pay too much. Sometimes you pay, but then you get um, you know you get in you get uh, you know you're investing steadily over time, and it uh, you know if you're buying at the low points in the market, that's obviously that's obviously helpful. So I've I've I've, all, I've done that for a very long period of time. My daughter's. Uh, couple of daughters through the uh, child trust fund as well um are in there um not sure they really know what they've got at the moment thankfully but uh, um they they won't be that long before they're able to get their hands on it so that's a bit of a worry but um you know it's it, it I've I've sort of you know I've not done I've not done it purely uh, purely because I'm the management it and it and it, and it sort of it, it it's the done thing I I think I've done it because I think genuinely it would uh, would be a good investment and uh, thankfully over the over the years it has been a, a good investment as the uh, as the smaller companies uh, global smaller companies market has done well but uh, again you know what happens in the future we, we will see but um, i do i do um i do uh, i do take a keen interest in the performance of this trust kyle well we'll have to have you back on the podcast peter to find out um, in a couple of years time what your kids done with the uh, with the proceeds um, <laughs> of, the, of the investment trust and um, yeah thank you so much for your time today no, that's, that's no problem at all. Thanks very much for having me on. That's all we have time for for today. I hope you've enjoyed listening. You can check out our fund, trust and ETF analysis on the Interactive Investor website, ii.co.uk. And you can, of course, like and subscribe to the Funds Fan podcast. We'll be back in early August. <laughs>